Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. This is Darren Doctorman, and we are the Inglorious Trexperts. See, I thought it was a classic femme fatale. Just so much fun. Like that Shakespearean lace in your acting. I said, Gene, what do you want from this character? I want you to just take the character and make it your own. <laughs> <laughs> I had a good time on the film. On day one, the movie was already $15 million over budget. We started this movie without an ending. That's like painting yourself into a corner. I don't think we've ever had a Star Trek oh, captain on our true. show. Being, as you said, number one of the, on the call sheet, it is a producer's position if you're going to take it seriously. I was so glad they didn't cast me as Lorca. <laughs> <laughs> you famously wrote that script in 12 days. On one level, I wrote the script. And on another level, the story was written by everybody and sure. his brother. New episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen to podcasts, or download the Electric Now app. Keep on trekking. Ingloriously, of course. Inglorious Trexperts, the only podcast for fans with a life, is available every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts, and on the free Electric Now app. Download it today. If you felt a great disturbance in the force, you're not wrong. My new book, Secrets of the Force, is now available in hardcover, digital, and audio from St. Martin's Press. And check out my other great oral histories with Ed Gross of Star Trek, The 50-Year Mission, So Say We All, The Complete Oral History of Battlestar Galactica, and Nobody Does It Better, The Complete Oral History of James Bond and Spymania, all available in hardcover, paperback, digital, and audio wherever you buy your books. Sundays on Electric Now. Tune in to the official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast with me, Yell Teagle, and my co-host, Felicia Michelle. Each week, we'll be breaking down another episode of Leverage Redemption. Plus, we've got exclusive interviews with the stars, as well as some games, and we'll even be showing off some amazing fan art. So after you watch Leverage Redemption on IMDb TV, you'll definitely want to join us here to catch all the Easter eggs and behind-the-scenes fun. The official Leverage Redemption After Show, a very distinctive podcast. Sundays on Electric Now. If you like listening to this podcast, you'll love watching us on Electric Now, the free video streaming app featuring video versions of all your favorite Electric Surge podcasts, along with full seasons of The Librarians, Leverage, the exclusive Leverage Redemption After Show, as well as Flash Gordon serials, hysterical comedy specials, and much more. Download it today from your favorite app store or watch us on Roku, Stir, DistroTV, Zumo, Sling, or Plex. Next time on Star Trek The Next Generation, the evil Q returns. What do you want, Q? My purpose is to join you. No. And Picard faces Q's wrath when the Enterprise is hurled into a living nightmare. We have an intruder. Now the crew is helpless against an invincible race of alien killing machines. You can't outrun them. You can't destroy them. On Star Trek The Next Generation... Hi, this is Peter Holmstrom. And this is Lisa Klink. We are back in the briefing room for another exclusive podcast commentary for an episode of Star Trek. Today, we are joined by a very special guest. He was a staff writer on both Star Trek Voyager and Enterprise and co-created the TV show Perception. Mike Sussman is back in the briefing room. Welcome, Mike. Hey, guys. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. Happy to be here. Happy to uh, be with you and Lisa and, and, and... To, to talk a little Borg. <laughs> I have a question before we get to the episode, though, because for the listeners out there, both you and yeah. Lisa were on uh, 
Star Trek Voyager. Did you guys overlap on on seasons or uh, or no? Well, I, I know that Mike was an intern while I was there. Um, I don't yeah, think he, I, I don't think you were on staff yet, though. No, no, I didn't. I, I only joined uh, the writing staff in season uh, seven. But I, yeah, I was an intern. I think I was the intern in the writers' room for an episode. One of the first ones that you wrote, um, I don't know if it was Dreadnought or, or uh, anyway, it was something like around that time, like mid season two or something. Okay. Um, but yeah, but I think we both uh, ultimately did, you know, a fair number of shows with like Seven of Nine, mm-hmm. and I ended up later doing a, a couple of Borg episodes, which was which was really fun because I, you know, I, I fell in love with them as mm-hmm. a as a species starting, starting with this episode. And so it just seemed like this would be, uh, you know, a, perhaps a, you know, a fun jumping off point for, you know, for you and me and, you know, Peter as well. But, um, so you did write a, 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 a lot of stories or a couple of stories anyway, with uh, that overlap with seven and, and the Borg mythology, oh, yeah. uh, I assume. Yeah. I also wrote the script for the Borg 4D experience in Las Vegas. Oh, right, right. That must have been really cool. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That's, I didn't get to see that one. I, I, I'd seen the, uh, uh, the earlier one. Um, this, yeah, I, gosh, I wish that Star Trek experience was still around. It was, uh, yeah, me too. What a, what a, what a terrific idea that was. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I, 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 you know, I did an episode uh, of Enterprise. It was kind of a prequel to this episode. And, and Voyager did a bunch of episodes that were kind of a prequel to this with, uh, I guess Annika and her, you know, young Annika and her parents uh, off searching the galaxy, you know, about this mysterious cybernetic uh, species that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I guess had been rumored about. So, but uh, no, this was a very, you know, to me, this episode when it aired, when, when did this air? About 87 or 88? 89. Uh, or maybe 89. 89, 89 okay. Yeah. Um, to me, it was... Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it was a formative episode and, uh, you know, I'd been watching Next Gen from, you know, the very beginning and a lot of my friends had kind of peeled off. They were original series fans. They weren't digging it. You know, the writing was kind of hit and miss, mostly miss. And uh, I was I was just like keeping the, the, you know, the flame going. And then this episode aired and for me, it kind of had like changed everything. And uh, despite the fact it's, 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 you know, I remember being kind of a, the end, the last half of the episode is really incredible. It takes a little while to get going, but it just, you know, introduced, you know, this new, this new species, this, uh, you know, an antagonistic species that just revolutionized this series and, uh, and, and the franchise as a whole, and we're going to play a massive part on, on, on Voyager as well. So, yeah. uh, I, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to rewatch this episode. It's been, it's been a while. Um, but it's, let's uh, it. yeah, it was, it was a big deal. Yeah. Let's, let's do, it. do it. Um, so listeners out there again, we are, uh, watching Hugh from the next generation and that's season two, episode 16. And that aired on May 8th, 1989, written by Maurice Hurley and directed by Rob Bowman. Uh, one of his early episodes of television. Um, all right. And you can watch that. Almost on any streaming service, of course. Uh, we recommend you buy the amazing Blu-ray set, which this episode looks particularly beautiful on. Um, but if not, it's on Paramount Plus, uh, Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu. Um, all right, guys. So we'll do a countdown and then we will press play. Um, all right. So three, two, one, and play. I mean, just a shout out to the you know the, the team that did the remastering for Next Generation. I, oh, I yeah. thought um, 
you know, generally they really did a terrific job. I guess season two was outsourced to a different company and didn't quite have the, I guess, the same quality control that season one and the subsequent seasons did. But mm-hmm. um, it's it was such a pleasure to be able to see these shows in, in, in high def, yeah. uh, particularly a lot of the original effects with the original models. Um, and it, they, they really, you know, tried to, keep it looking like it like it like it did they didn't they didn't fix the, you know they fixed some things but they were they were very true to what the episode had looked like back in you know the late 80s or the 90s when, when they aired yeah now this is uh ensign sonia gomez played by alicia knopf uh forgive me if i'm mispronouncing that but um uh previous to this she had appeared in an episode in a small role in lethal weapon and then had the role of the three-breasted woman in Total Recall after this. Oh, yeah? Um, That's yeah. right. She, uh, <laughs> it's interesting because like, they had actually, this was meant to be part one of a recurring role for this character. And they were kind of, because she's very prominent in this episode. And yeah. they were trying to set up this kind of Sonya Jordy romance that would have uh, ultimately culminated in a uh, storyline involving Jordy wanting to undergo this like very serious medical procedure um, risky medical procedure to give his eyesight back because he really wanted to see his love with his own eyes um but, i guess at some uh, point they, they decided that that wasn't really going anywhere <laughs> you know I, th- I think it's two things i think um partly because this whole season had like it was under the umbrella of the writer's strike so maurice hurley left right. and, and there was a lot of just in general um, reconfiguring of the show with season three, but also apparently the actress, she appeared in one more episode, the subsequent episode, um, Samaritan mm-hmm. Snare for a small role. And she was meant to be in more of the show, but like they had, had to reshoot some of her scenes and um, a few weeks after they had filmed initially. And when she came back, she had gotten this like big haircut, hmm. and, like uh, a 1980s style haircut. And um, <laughs> if, if you know anything about the behind the scenes of Star Trek, is that haircuts are uh, point of contention. Deal, yeah. <laughs> point of contention. So they, they kind of yeah. get loose very quickly. Um, I mean, but this does happen in episodes. You, you know, the, the writers will have an idea for some kind of ongoing storyline. It doesn't quite work out because of casting or whatever or writing and it just gets dropped. And then when you watch the episode years later, it's like, what's <laughs> what was that? Yeah, I think <laughs> she's know? great though in this episode. It's, it's a very refreshing she's charming. Kind of humor. She's charming, yeah, yeah, for a season that's very dour. The first two seasons of CNG are a bit dour, but she's great. In she's sort of like a, a, a pre, you know, Barkley type character, which would have been, <laughs> yeah. you know, an inter- <laughs> An interesting take for her, or, 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 yeah, or for another maybe, character. Maybe but. a bit less uh, creepy, but. Um. <laughs> well, I know by the time we got to Voyager, Paramount was really discouraging long arcs, you know, and and she really wanted us to do self-contained episodes. So I wonder if that was a factor as well. Yeah, it's possible. I, I remember a little bit of experimentation in season. In season two, there was an, uh, at least I don't know if you remember, there was an ongoing storyline with, I guess, uh, Paris, uh, like betraying the crew. There's there some kind of. Uh, oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. The, and, and yeah, I think the spy or the. But it was all like a big fake out. Like he was just trying to get close to the spy yeah. who was working for, I don't know. I mean, it's nothing to do with the Borg or any of this stuff. But yeah, it, did, it didn't quite It didn't quite work. Uh, it was really hard to, uh, to get that. I mean, it was such a light touch with the serialization, it, it just felt weird. Yeah. And uh, I think if, you know, obviously later series, certainly Deep Space Nine and Enterprise went much, 
deeper and you know more hardcore on on serialization but it was just weird to just have like one scene that was part of some you know bigger thing that uh, yeah. we didn't really follow through on but um yeah and this is obviously a, a q episode this uh, you know also one of my you know favorite uh q stories um I don't know what the title comes from. I mean, it's, I guess it's a knock-knock joke. I, <laughs> I never quite understood the cute titles. Yeah, that's fair. Um, that's fair. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was always fun when John Delancey showed up. Absolutely. And and just threw a wrench into everything. Absolutely. What was it like for, for both of you working with uh, or for Q, the character of Q in Voyager? I don't think we did. I don't think I was there when we did the Q episode. Uh, did they? They, they did a couple. You would have they been. Did, yeah, they, you would have been. Was, yeah, that was season yeah. three, I think. So it's, uh, and he was in it for like two episodes um, back to back. Yeah, there was an episode called I think Q two or Q squared. Uh, again, I was I was I was the intern, uh, and it was a story I think that Michael Pillar's son Sean Pillar had written or they'd written together. Huh. Um. And uh, yeah, because I was I was I was the intern at the whiteboard writing writing down uh, writing down all the story deeds. I don't really remember the episode well, but and they cast John Delance's Hugh's son, which was kind right. of fun. Yes, um, So yeah, I didn't really. I was long gone by the time you know I was only there for six weeks doing that internship, and by the time they shot it, um, I was uh, forbidden from the lot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, you were on the, uh, on the list of, of I was on the list of exactly. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it's awesome. How much your experience of the internship? Do you feel like you got a lot out of it? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I um, yeah, I mean, I feel like I learned more about television writing and, and show business in those six weeks. You know, mostly sitting in the writers' room and sitting in on on pitches um, mm-hmm. and and figuring out. Because I knew I had you know stories I'd wanted to pitch to um, to the producers, but I had no idea how to pitch. I, I'd yeah. never pitched anything to anybody. But then, as soon as you sit in that chair and people are pitching to you, or they're really pitching to the you know the writers and producers, and you're just in turn taking notes, you suddenly realize, aha, okay, you just <laughs> it, 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 very informal. You're just trying to be entertaining. Don't bore them and tell right. them the story. And it, 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 it like all clicked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, at that point, um, did, did something similar happen? Well, you you had sold the story, hadn't you, before you became before you did the interview? Uh, no, actually, uh, well, I've been invited into pitch for Deep Space Nine. Um, I didn't sell the story, but they they liked my script well enough to call me into pitch. Um, and then I got the Writers Guild internship and continued pitching, and that's when I sold the story uh, to DS Nine after the internship. Your internship was on D- DS Nine, though, right? Yes. Oh, okay. Cool. This is ten forward. Guidance. I don't, remember you I don't remember if this is second or third appearance of Whoopi Goldberg in in the series, but um, definitely the first time where she's shown to have some very mysterious qualities to her. That, uh, she's able to uh, kind of sense that there's just something very off here. Had it a couple of times before. It's probably nothing. Forget that I called. Yeah. Again, it's you know the. For an episode that you know introduced the, the big villain of uh, you know of the series and even you know the franchise in many ways, it, it, it really gets to kind of you know kind of a slow start. <laughs> um, and you know it's kind of mysterious. It's cool that you know Q kidnaps Picard and they don't quite know what's going on. But um, 
it is funny how like Q is so mysterious about this and he's like, I have business with you. It's all very important. And then the reveal is just like Q just wants to join the crew. And it's a bit of a letdown because you're just like, clearly this is meant to right. be like big intergalactic, you know, struggle or whatever. And it's just like, no, I'm just kind of bored. I, I want something to do. And it's, it's, it's funny, but... Yeah, I, I never, I, I, I never quite got it. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, you think he could just snap his fingers and you know wipe everybody's memories and and just like, hey, you know, he's, you know, he's Ensign Q or he's Commander Q, he's second in command of the Enterprise. And, uh, I, I never quite understood why he he was so obsessed with 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 joining the the ship. You know, Ronald D. Um, Moore talks about how they at the time they always wrote um, Q as if. Like he was in love with Picard, like that was his whole shtick was that he was yeah. just sure. in love with Picard. And John Delancey talks about how he always portrayed the character as if he was a being that had like seen in in you know air quotes seen the the truth of the universe, you know, seen God or whatever as it's as it's about. So now he's kind of roaming the galaxy, just trying to find authentic moments in his existence because he's just he's seen everything at this point. And so he's just kind of looking for those real moments and he kind of honed his in on the Enterprise as being a, a way to get that. But, hmm. um, but for both of you, like, I mean, did when, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, omnipotent beings that could just do almost anything, whether it's Q or, you know, another being or whatever, was how much thought process actually went into, like, let's, you know, argue constantly about, like, what they can and cannot do or at what point do you just like all right we just need to focus in on voyager enterprise here and just ignore all the plot holes and stuff that could happen <laughs> yeah i mean i i never wrote any q episodes and you know i i enjoyed i mean look delancey's great i i really did feel that um it was that relationship between patrick stewart and delancey that really sparked and that it that q didn't work quite as well i thought on voyager or, no. or ds9 it felt really a little forced there were, there were moments when we were like, oh, let's bring him on Enterprise. And, you know, my, I didn't, you know, my quietly inside my head, I was thinking, please don't. Because <laughs> that, it, 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 I love their relationship here. I mean, I, we, you could do a whole episode of these two just, you know, playing handball inside the shuttlecraft and it would, it would be like enormously entertaining. Um, and they, you know, in, in this kind of saves the the opening for the episode for you know for me from being like a, 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 a total like bring on the board bring on the board let's <laughs> let's 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 get it going yeah they, they are just so much fun to watch together um i love this shuttlecraft i was really bummed when it, it sort of uh, disappeared from the show i guess they uh, they were unable to, to build a full-size mock-up because it was so uh, curvy Hmm. And uh, I think they what they ended up doing was uh, retrofitting one of the the boxy shuttles that they made for the Star Trek feature films and and right. uh, refiguring it for next gen. And then Voyager ended up using I think that same hmm. shuttle. Yeah, um, I think so. But that was such a, a cool little curved design. It looked like you know they only ever built the model and, and the interior of it. Um, but uh, and now he's just back. And again, I'm just like waiting for the story to get going here. <laughs> it, it's so it's so leisurely paced. Well, I guess I figured that Q would be interesting enough. You 
he does bring that element of danger. Like at any moment, he can snap his fingers and you know just blank the ship out of existence, and you know yeah. he's about to do something you know very shortly here. It's a little hand gestures. <laughs> I don't recall. Did they ever explain any further? You know this past relationship no, between not at her all. and the closest you get is in generations when you see kind of. Guinan was in the Nexus and then she got out of it. But beyond that, there's not a whole lot about her backstory. That's that's yeah. I guess there's that um two parter where she's revealed to be like in a nineteenth uh, century Earth. But but beyond that, they really don't go much more into her character. Because they're really hinting here that she's, oh, yeah. you know, some kind of super being herself, which oh, yeah. I thought was, oh, that's kind of cool. And she kind of, you know, maybe she is a a Q who just who joined the crew, but you know. It was just not so obvious about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 it just kind of hangs out there. It works though because it's Morty it and and, and Gein and, um, and it's fun to it, it's I, I you know <laughs> I, I like not knowing the yeah the answer yeah the to mystery that. It's is fun to ask the question. You know, I think, and I've been guilty of this myself writing for these shows of you know answering too many you know questions. Sometimes it, it's better to just leave things a mystery. Almost respectable. Ready and willing. Yeah, you don't want to get a, a neat answer to everything. Uh, I mean, you kind of want to leave some things that, just mysteries for the viewer where they can come up with their own theories. And of course, the fans will always come up with theories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Was it ever briefly discussed of, of bringing Guinan into uh, Voyager or Enterprise, if do you guys recall? Um, it was it was it was discussed. I think we even took pitches. Um, it was just one of those things where, yeah, I mean, Cube, Guinan, the Borg. And of course, I ended up doing a, a Borg show on Enterprise, which yeah. you know was was. I, I remember sitting in my office, and and at least I'm sure you remember this was like the phone rings, and it's showrunner. You know, it's either you know it's Jerry Taylor, it's Brandon Braga, it's Ken Diller. Come to my office right away. Oh no, what do they want? What do they want? And I, I know with Brandon, it was like you could call down there and it'd be, it'd be like, we need a new story. We need a new episode. What do you got? And I got called down there once and um, I just grabbed like a yellow pad and I'd had like a couple of like one line notions scribbled on it. One of them was uh, was this Borg idea. And I was like, I didn't even pitch it first because I was like, I was really unsure about it. Enterprise was a prequel. You know, he's not going to want to do this. But I was just so desperate that I I pitched it. And he was like, huh. And then he he had a riff on it. And then suddenly, you know, my then, you know, writing partner and I, Phil Strong, had marching orders to turn that into an episode. And uh, what was fun is that, that the end of that Enterprise episode, which is called Regeneration, kind of sets up Q who it sets up the idea that uh you know the Borg are sort of traveling in this direction they're aware of earth and uh and of course the Borg have already been set up in next gen before this it was i guess the end of season one uh the neutral zone episode where the enterprise yeah. finds uh those colonies have been destroyed on the Romulan side and, and the federation side and they don't know who did it which is a very cool mystery yeah. and we're about to find out here that you know this mm -hmm. is the, the species that did it um, yeah, it's interesting how uh, that was originally meant to be resolved in season one, and then they um, weren't able to to film that second part of that episode, so they kind of had to retrofit it to be kind of a closed off, like the Romulan saying, you know, we're back, even though that doesn't really solve right. the mystery of the episode at all. But it's just yeah. kind of a hanging thing, and then they 
they almost offhandedly mentioned data just says in this episode this matches the configuration of you know blah 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 and it's like oh right for for astute right. hands we we remember but um but at that point they were thinking the board would be more insectoid they wouldn't be machine a machine race they would be an, an insectoid race and so that's why a lot right. of the terminology of like the hive and the collect you know all these collective conscious things that carries over from that initial concept but well, I think, you know, thank goodness, the, you know, the budget and the special effects at the time didn't allow them to do it. We ended up doing an insect species on Enterprise, but it's so much better that they, I think, regard this sort of, you know, sci-fi zombie race, um, you know, with the extra twist of the, of, of the hive mind. No, I just, mm -hmm. I, I love this moment here where Picard is, I feel like it's funny, like, in many ways, I feel like this episode and, and Q in particular, it's almost like a, a commentary on the premise of Next Gen, mm, yeah. and that Picard is like, you know, you know, we've got everything figured out. We've got, we've got this powerful starship. We're flying around with families. We we're, we're we're on top of things. And Q says, "Oh, you think so?" <laughs> and and just sends them, you know, I guess somewhere into the Beta Quadrant, wherever they, wherever they are. But uh, it just it just felt like. You know that that the writers were sort of you know waking up to the fact that the the show really needed to uh, you know be juiced. Well, it's interesting how this is almost a, a second pilot in a way. Like it has very much the same hue storyline as Encounter at Farpoint does, in the sense of like we need you know uh, Hugh is is testing human arrogance here, right? And he's kind mm -hmm. of pushing against it in in the same way as he did in Encounter at Farpoint and. Um, and as yeah. you say, it does juice up the series again. It's interesting how Voyager does a similar kind of repiloting, utilizing the Borg with with Scorpion Part One and Two. Yeah, I, I, the the Borg in Seven Nine really, you know, revitalized that um, that show. And I, you know, I can understand why they might have at first wanted to, uh, you know, avoid it. I mean, part of it was I think they were waiting for First Contact to come out, and they didn't want to, yeah. you know bring the board back before they, they showed up on the big screen. But then after that, they were, the board was sort of fair game. Um, but they were, yes, they were so creepy and mysterious here. And yeah, and here we are, we're getting, we're getting the links. Sorry. Well, the trick is always to figure out, at least on Voyager, was to figure out how much to use the Borg. You know, I mean, obviously about seven, but I mean, to, to use the rest of the collective as a threat. I mean, you didn't want to have us encounter them too often because, of course, we'd have to escape or defeat them. And they're scarier if they're kind of hovering in the background and you don't know when you're going to meet them. Well, I think, you know, Voyager often succeeded. Their, their, their Borg storylines really succeeded when the Borg weren't necessarily an antagonist or, you know, you're meeting former drones or you know, a race that was, you know, recovering after a Borg attack. And so, you know, there were sort of Borg-themed stories that, that were not really about, oh, the Borg trying to take over the ship and destroy us and, and how right. do we stop them. Lisa, do you recall was... I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 go ahead. I, I, I was just going to ask Lisa if, if she recalled, was was there kind of a, a ticking clock in the sense of like, we, we want to wait till First Contact comes out and then we can slowly tease. Because Voyager does slowly tease the Borg for uh, season three, I believe. Um, and I was just curious if, if you recall that. What's the case? I'm sorry, could you repeat that last part? 
I'm sorry. Um, if you recall, like, did uh, Voyager kind of tease the Borg in season three? Did they? Um, uh, was there a sense that like first contact is coming? We want to wait until that happens. Yeah. Uh, well, we definitely wanted to to hold off. Um, you know, and and again, drop in you know a tease or two. Um, I think the first time we even referred to them was in an episode I wrote called Blood Fever, um, in which at the very, very end of the episode, you know, we discover, you know, because it had been erased, it had been basically wiped out and kind of driven underground by some evil enemy. And then at the end of the episode, we find like evidence of the Borg. And that was sort of the first, you know, even hint that we had. Yeah. Um, that was a great so episode. I, I think that, that we did want to hold off. You know, we, we really were trying to kind of find voyager signature villain and we're obviously having a little trouble with that you know we didn't you know the kazon was supposed to be and that didn't really work out so well um and it was it was tough because of course we were moving in one direction really fast and so we wouldn't be re-encountering any of the uh, right. you know even like the, the phased aliens you know and that kind of thing and so the borg were the only the only enemy that we could conceivably encounter again and again a really creepy introduction too for the Borg right there. They had really uh, been set up as well. I mean, you know, Voyager was in the Delta Quadrant. It was set up in Next Gen, and the Borg were there. So I, I think there was a you know a large chunk of the audience that was just like, "When are we getting the Borg? When are, yeah. when are we getting?" And that was kind of my reaction after watching this episode and and just being blown away by this you know very you know unique you know, villain that we hadn't seen anything quite, it was a truly, you know, one of the very first alien villains that you couldn't say, oh, they're like the Vikings or, oh, they're like ancient Rome. They're, they were alien and in, in a way that Star Trek really hadn't done before. And I remember, you know, season three premiered and I'm like, oh my God, I'm sure the writers are going to be all over this. And then like all of season three goes by and I'm like, are they crazy? Where are the, you know, season three was a big step up. Michael Pillar taking over from the writing staff. But I was, and this is all, of course, pre-internet. Like, who knew what was what was going to happen? But I was like, did 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 they are, are they not going to do any more Borg stories? Don't they know what they have here? And then, of course, best of both worlds was season ender. Yeah, and it was pretty clear they they knew what they had. And they were saving it, and they they didn't want to do that too early. Um, and yeah, it was really in many ways season three that cliffhanger that that you know for I think a large part of. Uh, you know, people were watching the show or, or just hearing about the show. Mm -hmm. Was it was it good? Did it get good again? Season three really, at the end of season three in particular, really brought them back in a big way. Yeah. Random crew guy. <laughs> this Borg has a massive arm uh, yeah. appendage thing. It's, it's so big. <laughs> it's uh, it's fun. I don't know. It, the, you know, some of the season two, I mean, the makeup with I mean the guys obviously wearing a black leotard <laughs> it's just it's I don't know it's it, it's very you know 60s Star Trek you just kind of roll with it um it's funny to see how Worf evolves over the course of TNG and then Deep Space Nine too because right here he's so timid like he's always waiting for permission to to shoot someone and it's just <laughs> like why would you stop or if they quit asking for <laughs> so weird that's a very creepy shot right there it's great so yeah after I watched this episode I was I was you know entertaining I, you know I was still in school and thinking oh 
you know, maybe I'd want to you know, write television and Star Trek was back in a big way. So I meet, I started working on a, on a, on a story that I never actually wrote that was going to be a sequel to this. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, that was going to be about, because what, what I thought was really cool about the Borg is, you know, the, the assimilation thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I was creating a story where they would find a planet, like a Federation planet that had been assimilated and that my metaphor or allegory for the Borg was that they were like a cancer kind of growing on the Federation. And so they would just mm-hmm. kind of like take a planet every now and then. And all the starships that were like in that system would get assimilated and all the people on board. And so there'd be like, a, you know, another galaxy class ship that got assimilated and, you know, maybe Picard knew the captain or whatever. And, uh, and there's really nothing you could do about it. I mean, I, mean, I can't remember what kind, of, what kind of story I had there. I never actually even wrote it up. And uh, and later, I, you know, obviously, Lisa, I'm sure you've got tons of board pitches. I got very oh, yeah. shy about even, I was kind of astonished that I even ended up selling a, a board pitch to Voyager because I, I always kept them for last because I just assumed they'd heard it all before. And then mm-hmm. the odds of selling a board story were, you know, infinitesimal. <laughs> um, but... Uh, yeah, there was there was something kind of cool to me. I I, I don't you know people talk or, or fans have talked about how the board were you know maybe overused or, or had been defanged on Voyager because we saw too much of them. I I don't know about that so much, but I, I do. They did become a little more, um, I guess, a typical Star Trek villain when they were all about like, you know, sending a big ship to attack Earth. It, it just felt very like, you know, something the Klingons would do. Or, 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 or another race would do. Yeah. Uh, and they, they weren't always as alien, I think, as they were in this in this first episode. Um, but but when they were, uh, they were they were really dynamite villains. Yeah. Consular. We're not dealing with an well, they're really like like zombies. You know, they can deal with a drone yeah. or maybe two, but then they just keep coming and there's so many of them and you can't stop all of them. And I think that's what makes them especially threatening. Oh, for sure. And I think it's got the same, you know, thrill. Uh, and obviously this, you know, predated by many decades, The Walking Dead and, and you know, the zombie renaissance that, that, that happened a couple of years ago. Okay, now the episode is finally really picking up. <laughs> this is this is a, a, a terrific, very scary action sequence, I feel. Uh, particularly for, you know, season two of Next Gen. I mean, the episode, I think, is, yeah, it's over half over, and uh, we're getting to some cool stuff here. Lisa, when you were writing the uh, Borg experience at Vegas, did you go back and watch the older Borg episodes like this one for uh, research material? I think I rewatched Best of Both Worlds, part one and two. Okay. Sure. Um, because, you know, as Mike said, I mean, those those were kind of the, the key Borg, in my mind, the key Borg episodes. Yes. Um, and, you know, I watched, I had seen First Contact, obviously, and so I kind of had the Borg queen in mind. Um, so, but I, I mean, having watched all of Next Generation and, and, you know, seen all the Borg episodes, I, I had a pretty good idea of what, what, what I wanted to do with them. Yeah. I, I just love this, that the, the Borg just took a core sample out of the Enterprise. That is so cool. Again, it's like not anything any other alien species would have done before. It's almost like they're, are they scientists? Like, like this is yeah. the way they, uh, they uh, you know, examine other species they might encounter. They, they don't even know that they're that they're necessarily violent yet. Um, it's just so cool and mysterious. Mm-hmm. One thing that 
uh, bumped me the last time I watched this in preparation for this podcast was um, when this happens, 18 crew members leave and it occurred to me like Janeway would not have just let that happen. Like she would have <laughs> gone after those people and Picard just kind of shrugs. It. He's just like, ah, they're dead, probably dead. Let's move on. Uh, well, they, yeah, it's funny because they did go back and forth on whether, you know, somebody could be retrieved or not. And I guess yes. at this point they don't really know anything about no assimilation. Idea, yeah, no. No. And those people may, you know, if they were in that hull section that got zapped, they they might just be dead. Probably <laughs> yeah. You know, that would have, you know, that, that was that was probably a pretty awful way to go. But um, and yet it's next gen, so they were kind of like, you know, you know, we Borg took a chunk out of the hull, but we're all just kind of cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Pressing our buttons. Um, we see the weapon used again many times, but we never actually see that effect of of. The core sample, as you say, we never really see that happen again. Yeah. Well, it's not a cheap thing because when no, I did my Enterprise episode, I I wanted to um, I wanted to show it, and in mm. fact, had uh, it was in an early script, and then it got cut out because you know they have to do three D modeling of, of of that core sample. But like in one of the final shots, where this little Borg, you know, it's it's, it's an alien ship that the Borg have taken over, and it's just sort of turning into a sphere. It attacks uh, the NX-01 Enterprise, and it starts to. You can see it starts to carve a circle into the into the hull before the beam fritzes out. So mm -hmm. uh, didn't, didn't quite get to do it, but um, yeah, they. Thousands of centuries. So yeah, Q's, what Q tells us here about the Borg, not, I guess it's not entirely consistent with with what happens uh, later. Like here, he says they're just really interested in their technology when. Um, or power as you know it. Something, something they can consume, right? Um, which I guess is true to a certain extent. Um, you exposed us to it, and you cost us the. But clearly, I mean, there, there's so many elements that I mean, it's it's amazing that the Borg hold together as well as they do because the whole idea of like you know the. the nanoparticles and, and the assimilation stuff that didn't really get introduced until uh, I guess it was that was uh, was the first contact that, that introduced that element uh, where they uh, would the inject the nanoprobes you mean yeah I think maybe was, so yeah because um, in this episode and we'll see it here in a minute that there's Borg babies and it's kind of implied that they do reproduce somehow and right. so the idea of assimilation via, um, uh, you know, taking over a living being um, is, is is they could have gone two ways with it, you know. And, and I mean, I guess best of both worlds kind of establishes that it's it's a little different than that. But in this episode, anyway, it's a little vague on um, what they're doing. Um, yeah, because they're just they're taking technology, they're taking colonies, as we've seen. They're they're taking whole things, and as Q says, they don't really care about you as a living being. It's about right. your technology. Yeah. What I love about the Borg is they they reminded me of uh, I guess uh, something Carl Sagan had talked about on, on the old Cosmos TV show about how there would never be there would never be Star Wars between alien cultures because one would be so far advanced in comparison to the other that it would be like a no contest situation. And yeah. I, to me, I felt like that's what the Borg kind of were here. They were thousands. I think that was established. Um, they were, you know, they'd been around as a technological civilization for thousands of years, and there was just no way the Federation could stand up to them. Now they, you know, and then you end up, you know, teching the tech and adjusting the reflector <laughs> pulse, and then suddenly <laughs> we can defeat the Borg, which yeah. is like, eh, okay. But 
there was something to me really terrifying, at least in this episode, to, to have yeah. a, a species that was so far advanced that there's literally nothing you can do uh, to to resist them and just hope that they're not after you. Well, resistance is futile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it ended up not being futile, but or futile. <laughs> you know, you know, <laughs> technicalities. <laughs> you say futile, I say futile. <laughs> This is interesting too, because here it's established that there's um, two Borg per pod, so to speak, and it's never really done this way again. It's always kind of individual uh, regeneration chambers. But it's, uh, I think it's largely because of this immense set design and, and the costumes as well that this this episode was uh, very expensive. And, oh, I'm sure. Uh, it was kind of part of the reason why there had to be a, a clip show at the end of the season. Yeah. Captain? Well, I'm sure they had no idea how the Borg would be received, you know, yep. that they didn't know that, that they were going to want to reuse them. And so, I mean, for all they know, if, if this show was poorly received, then no more Borg. There are two Borg in each one. Captain, I would see... Well, sure, yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, the Frangie were going to be the big bad until they weren't. And <laughs> I guess we could, have, we, could, we could have had, a, a you know, a Borg uh, barkeep on DS9, I guess. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Commander. It's interesting how here and all the way through TNG, they establish the Borg as having like little, um, they, they get their energy by kind of plugging in uh, literally into these little regeneration. Here they have like a handheld thing. Um, and you yeah. see it a lot in um, iBorg uh, later on in season five, I believe. Um, but then by the time First Contact and then Voyager comes along, it's more of like a wireless regeneration apparatus. Yeah. They just kind of step in and... and um, which is a way better look, uh, in my opinion. Well, again, Trek predicting the future. Yes. <laughs> mm -hmm. Fascinating. Although, you know, it, it bumped for me even at the time that, you know, that data didn't have Wi-Fi. That, you know, you had to sit in the console <laughs> and type everything in. It's like, really? You <laughs> <laughs> could type super fast, which I guess is cool. Yeah, I do like the, the, kind of an interesting the house element to the Borg in that they, they wouldn't go after you if you weren't threatening them, which again was kind of different from any other alien that we'd seen before. Yeah. Now here yeah. is something that you can you can see it on the Blu-ray. Um, I'm not sure if, if how good it is on, on streaming, but like at the very bottom of this little chasm here, there's like liquid. There's like a river, the a canal yeah. type thing going through there. And I, I'm really... They never go there again, they never establish it, but it's it's very interesting. They have this like coolant yeah. running through the board ship. And well, it's interesting. I think that was one of the few shots in this remastered episode that they redid. Oh, okay. I, I think that was a digital matte painting, and, that, and gotcha. which I thought they did a nice job with. Maybe it combined elements of the original, but I, I, I do recall that they, interesting. Uh, they enhanced that shot because it was just one of those, one of those images that just wasn't going to hold up to, gotcha. to HD. Um, I wonder if at some point they're going to go back and you know remaster this and the other series in 4K. I can only imagine what yeah. what little nuances. Are. I mean, pretty clear they're walking around on like the set floor there, right? Doesn't yeah. look like you know what. And the original series did that all the time. Like the the soundstage floor would be uh, you know in a cave or something. It just you know looked a little goofy, but yeah. Oh yeah, had to have the cave set. I wonder if they could do a 4K transfer of this series now, now that they've done kind of the, the big overhaal of the original uh, 35 millimeter material for the HD. 
I mean, imagine they have to rescan the negative all over again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but in terms of like recompositing all the special effects, which was the big hang up uh, initially. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I suppose they could just up-res it without rescanning everything, but um, it probably. Be, I mean, look, they haven't even they haven't even released uh, or you know redone Voyager and uh, and Deep Space Nine in in, in uh, you know in HD and one K. Uh, well, I imagine if they got around to that ultimately, maybe because you know Paramount Plus is going to want you know exciting 4K content. They've they've got these you know these Star Trek episodes just sitting there waiting. Yeah, I hope so. And they really hold up. Yeah. Because Voyager and Deep Space Nine don't look great on HGTVs, and they deserve. I do to know. I, re- I remember um, having conversations with Marvin Rush, who was our, our DP on Voyager. I was on the set and I noticed that on the uh, camera there were markings for widescreen and for the you know the traditional NTSC format and he, he told me that they were shooting uh, you know in a, in a protected way so that you could ultimately show Voyager episodes at least later seasons in widescreen that they were wow. they were very conscious of that yeah. now, of course no one they have never gone back and remastered those those uh, negatives and it and it would be a different thing with the, you know, with the visual effects as well. Um, I want maximum warp for as long as we can hold it. Yes, sir. We are now passing warp eight point five. So here we go, getting an example of the, you know, the Borg superiority. Our weapons are no good. They're faster than us. Yep. Um, it's and ultimately, it's it's only Q at the end of the day that that saves their hide. Yep. Um, and it is such a wonderful moment where Picard has to swallow his pride and basically admit he was wrong. It, it was, you know, it was it was such a a terrific moment um, and a humbling moment for him, and, yeah. and I guess for the audience too. I mean, you, 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 to, to say to Q that you were right, I was wrong. That, that was, and that's kind of the end of the episode. <laughs> um, yeah. But for a, especially for a character who in season one and two is rather stern, let's say, you know, to have yeah. him to have him kind of soften in this way, and especially you see that as the series goes on, he, he becomes a lot softer. But but if if you're tracking the arc as it were for Picard, uh, this would be a very important episode for him. Yeah, it also emphasizes how just how scary the Borg are. They even scare Picard, <laughs> you know, yeah, and because sure. he's been so sort of, you know, hard to intimidate. <laughs> you know, we've faced a lot of enemies that have not scared him, and the fact that these people or these creatures do scare him is a big yeah. deal. Yeah. I mean, for me, just, I mean, just w- even watching this scene right here, the Enterprise being pursued, and there's absolutely nothing they can do. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, 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 I think it's very scary. And one of my favorite scenes in Best of Both Worlds uh, is when he's talking to Guinan about, like, the end of their civilization. Yeah, like we that we don't know how to stop these guys. They were hiding in a nebula at that point. They 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 didn't know how to to, uh, to fight back. You can't destroy them. And Q here, you know, obviously, you know, he's this trickster god character who uh, you know is often played for comedy, mm-hmm. but he's 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 it, it did it really did feel to me like he was he was poking a big hole in the in the balloon of next generation that that sort of Gene Roddenberry idea of humanity's perfection yeah and like you know even the idea of sending you know giant 
starships out with you know all these families on board and uh where's your stubbornness now it's like he's poking a hole in in that uh in that utopia yeah which you know might be great aspirational and hey be wonderful that was a real thing it's not it's certainly not very dramatic to watch <laughs> uh, and not as much fun uh to, to watch every week and it felt like it really did need to be pulled back a little and that, that bubble did need to be burst and and the, and the board did it and i think in no way in a way that no other uh antagonist ever did you thought you could handle it so handle it q moi <laughs> i always love the reaction shots when q teleports one of the characters to another place. They're always yeah. just like, what? Where? What? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's, what's really terrific about, you know, the scene that Maurice Hurley wrote here. That So it's it's got Q being funny and goofy and, and the trickster, but you're also still scared to death for these people. Yeah. Like he could just let them die. Yeah. We'd, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention Rob Bowman either, who directed the episode. And he went on sure. to direct a number of episodes of The X-Files. That's probably where he's mm-hmm. best known from, but also long career in directing television, including a lot of episodes of Castle, et cetera. But um, yeah, this was one of his early, early directing gigs. And, and he puts in probably one of the best directing gigs up to this point anyway, to be sure. Um, yeah. And it's so creepy, so atmospheric. And I don't, I don't know if the episode would be quite the same if it wasn't, if it wasn't for his work here. He did a terrific job. Back where we started. They get flamed across the galaxy a lot in seasons one and two. (laughs) I hope that hole has some uh, good integrity to it because it's um, you can go places early on. Didn't they get flung to like the very edge of existence or something? Yeah, (laughs) so so many times. (laughs) Like what? Okay. Just another week on the Enterprise. (laughs) But yeah, Q Q is a a a tricky character to, to. Get right, and and for me, I guess he was he was a kind of character like even more so than the Borg. You you don't want to overdo Q, <laughs> and I'm sure there are many stories. You know, maybe Lisa heard some of them. That I, I mean, I I can't remember the, the you know the not great Borg pitches I might have heard. I never had a, a or I'm sorry, Q pitch. I never had a Q story, um, because I just felt like he was this of this era and of this show. Yeah, but yeah, it didn't stop people from from bringing them in. Lisa, was Q you in your uh, in your in your Borg adventure? Uh, uh, no, he was no, not. He, he was in a video game that came out around the time of First Contact called Star Trek Borg, and they uh, even recorded oh, right. a bunch of like live action footage with John Delancey on the Voyager sets. Um, yeah. as a, huh. and it was meant to like take place during Wolf Three Five Nine, and and they uh, right. released a. Uh, even released an audiobook uh, for it, which is like a full cast uh, dramatization of, of the video game, which I, I absolutely <laughs> loved. But um, which is always fun too, just to think of like what is Q doing when he's not screwing with the card? He's off, potentially off yeah. screwing with a whole bunch of other people who um, <laughs> who uh, just just we're not seeing. So. I think Q ultimately was doing Picard and, and Starfleet a favor here by showing them what was coming. Yeah, um, I mean it doesn't really get. I mean, it gets pointed out here in the scene with Guinan. I can't really recall. It doesn't, um, but it does get pointed out in an episode of Voyager where Q kind of pats himself on the back and, and was like, hmm. you know, your, your, oh, okay. your, your galaxy would have been totally destroyed if it wasn't for me and uh, <laughs> from that one time. Because um, Q and the Borg never really cross over again in any future episodes, do they? No, no I don't think so. Like, no. Yeah. 
This is a great cliffhanger, though. Lies ahead. Yeah, no, it really, for me, definitely, you know, reinvigorated the show. Um, and it's almost unnecessary for the episode. Like, you don't really need this cliffhanger, but it's here and it's tagged on. And, and the threat, though, be, just escalates so much because then you're like, yeah, what is coming next? It's yeah, terrifying. Well, I mean, it's not unlike, I guess, the ending of that, uh, I forget the name of the episode with those little parasites that uh, they sort of promised the sequel to. Conspiracy, <laughs> never, yes. Conspiracy, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. And we never got it. I, you know, some people were, you know, really loved that episode. I, I, I thought it was kind of, you know, I don't know, it was a little weird. <laughs> um, not a good way, like like this was. Um, but, uh Yeah. Thank, uh, thank goodness. I mean, who knows? had this episode not been written, had the board not been introduced, I, I don't know where Next Gen would have uh, would have gone. You know, um, I mean, the Romulans were very interesting, but but they were uh, you know very much a you know villain from from the past. It was great to have them back, but uh, I don't think they reinvigorated the show the way the, uh, the board did. So yeah, this Absolutely. was this was a a, a, a terrific. Uh, you know, a, a formative episode for, for I think, for Star Trek. Yeah, certainly. And, um, yeah, and I, I, it's very, you know, it's, it's you don't always remember watching a, an episode of television from 30 years prior, but I do remember my reaction watching this one. Yeah. And I, 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 I couldn't wait to see these, uh, these again, these creatures again. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was... Uh, well, it's so true. And the fact that they are even now still being talked about today, they were obviously a, a factor in Picard and they um, sure. were as mm-hmm. it they're going to be even more of a factor in, in the future too, um, despite theoretically being destroyed in Voyager. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> yeah, be back. The zombies always keep coming back. Zombies always yes. keep coming back. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's so true. Um, but yeah, that was the end of the episode right there. So that's uh, that's fantastic. Mike, this was a fantastic choice. That was uh, obviously one of the best episodes of Star Trek. Um, yeah. Bar none. Um, so it was a, a very nice choice for uh, for this episode. That was great. Yeah, always always fun to, uh, to rewatch this episode. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on the show. That's great. Um, you know, do you have anything to plug this week? Do you got uh, new projects on the horizon you want to talk about? Or, uh... Uh, nothing I can talk about just yet, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> hopefully soon. So Amazing. where do we find you on social media? Oh, uh, well, I'm, I'm on Twitter. Uh, my handle, I think, is underscore Michael Sussman because somebody took my name. <laughs> <laughs> so I got the underscore in front of it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've... Uh, I'm, uh, I, I, I tweet maybe two or three times a year. So <laughs> feel free to, uh, to follow. It's arguably all that should be tweeted is two or three times a year. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, Lisa, you're on, you're on Twitter too. Why don't you throw out that? Uh, I'm sorry? We can find you on Twitter though too, right? That's, oh yeah. Uh, I'm uh, on Twitter. I'm LK Clink. Awesome. And, and uh, you can find us, uh, Inglorious Trek Experts as a whole on uh, Twitter at Inglorious Trek or uh, on Instagram and Facebook at Inglorious Trexperts. Um, so Mike Sussman, thank you so much for being here. This was a fantastic episode and uh, really, really fun time to, to talk about uh, talk about Q-Who. Um, we want to thank uh, our sound engineer, Bill Ritter, as well as executive producers, Mark A. Altman and Dean Devlin, as well as for all of you, the listeners out there for, for listening to us this week. Um, hope you will join us here again. Uh, so for all of us here, uh, Lisa Clank and myself, uh, keep on trekking and gloriously 
of course. Scott, when you were deep, you just told us. About an hour ago, the bridge control started going crazy. Levers shifting by themselves, buttons being pushed, instrument readings changing. And on my monitor screen, I can see Mitchell smiling each time it happened. As if his ship and crew were almost a toy for his amusement. This show is produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.